Hello and welcome to another episode of McEwen's History. I haven't thought of a good name of it yet. Anyhow, so today we are going to do the French Revolution. And this kind of picks up after my Enlightenment unit. So once again, if you are following along with uh, the units I have available on my website, www.mrmcewen.com, mrmcewen.com, uh, this follows the Enlightenment. So we're on to the French Revolution. So uh, as we kind of said, mentioned last time, uh, the French Revolution was inspired by the American Revolution. And we're going to talk about a lot of the different causes here. And we're going to start off with um, the population. So the French population was at about 27 million. And give you an idea, Ohio is like 11.5 million or so. Um, so anyhow, good-sized population, and it was divided into three estates. And estates, sorry about that, I was fixing my mic. Uh, estates are groups, orders, or classes. And so there was three major estates. And the first estate, so you know, think of it just as one, two, three, first place being the best. So first estate is the clergy, and clergy is a nice way of saying like the church. And there's 130,000 people, and that is about 0.5% of the entire population. Yet, this 0.5% own 10% of all the land. So, fairly privileged. And, oh, we're not done yet. They didn't even have to pay pay taxes. And the French word for taxes is tally, 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 T-A-I-L-L-E. Anyhow, and so there were actually um, a subdivision even within this first estate of clergy. And it was the higher clergy and lower clergy. And the higher were the noble clergy and the lower clergy were the commoner clergy. So that's the first estate. All right, 0.5%. And then there's the second estate, which is 1.5% of the total population or about 350,000 people. So, and they own 25% of the land. So 2% of the population owns 35% of all the land. And also these people, like the last one, are not done yet. They held many of high jobs in government, military law, and guess what? They didn't have to pay taxes or towel or however you pronounce it either. So, you know, it's really pretty good if you're in the first and second estate. So, as you probably guessed, third estate, not so good. So we have the commoners, the rest of the people, roughly 26.5 million people, 98% of the population, and they get 65% of the land. And they're also divided up into subgroups. And their groups, so there's, there's multiple groups within this third estate, you know, and they're kind of classified by occupations, education, wealth, all this kind. And of this of these subgroups, most of them were peasants, making up about 75 to 80% of this 26.5 million are commoners, and they owned about 35 to 40% of the 65% of land that is left over. And if you remember, we talked about serfdom in our past units, which was that socioeconomic status of unfree peasants, basically modified slavery. Um, it was gone, but there still were some legacies left. There were landlords, um, socioeconomic bindings. Basically, what I want you to get out of it is the poor were kept poor. And so, and guess what? Uh, they had to pay taxes. So, 2% of the population is getting treated awesome. And the rest are getting treated horribly. And so now we're going to get into the voting system, uh, or the state voting system. Now, 
they fed into a three-party constitutional government. So each estate got one vote. So the first estate got a vote, second estate got a vote, third estate got a vote. Now, I bet you can figure this one out. So say they're going to vote on taxes. And we say, all right, who should have to pay taxes? Let's say everyone has to pay taxes. So the first estate is going to say no. Second estate is going to say no. Third estate is going to say yes. Well, even though the third estate has a majority of the population, 98% roughly, they still get outvoted because they all count for just one vote. Well, as you can imagine, people being very upset with this, finally on June 17, 1789, they got angry, and they formed a national assembly, and this is going to address some of the things that they are not happy about, so they're going to draft a brand new constitution. And, you know, they want something that's going to represent the needs of the people. It should sound very familiar to something from the Enlightenment, a social contract theory. Hopefully that's remembered. Anyhow, uh, hopefully you remember that. But yeah, so they decided, they, they got together and like, all right, we need to meet, we need to get this thing figured out. So we're going to come back three days from now and we're going to draft a brand new constitution. So they go back, they talk to all their friends, maybe they go to salons, you never know, think back to enlightenment. So anyhow, they're going to come back and they're going to they're gonna meet at a special place to decide all of this. And they get there and wouldn't you know it, the door was locked. So what are they going to do? They go to an indoor tennis court. Now, I've seen a painting of this, and it doesn't look like a modern-day tennis court. But anyhow, they went to an indoor tennis court instead. So instead of just going home when the door was locked, they just went next door and found a big meeting place, an indoor tennis court. And there, they made the Tennis Court Oath. Very tricky name for meeting in a tennis court. And they vowed that they would meet until a new constitution was made. Now, if you can imagine at the time, the king who was in charge probably didn't really like that, and that was King Louis XVI. So we'll come back to that um, a little bit here. Let me give you just a quick little background of who the heck King Louis XVI is. Uh, he was born into royalty, which is pretty much the only way you can get into royalty at this point, unless you get married into it, but even then, royals marry other royals, and their IQs go down, but we'll talk about that some other time. Anyhow. Uh, he got married at the age of 15, pretty young by today's standards. Uh, he was very, very, very shy, and early on in his marriage did not contribute any children, which, I mean, that's one of the big things they want the kings to do, kings and queens to do, is to have kids. And he really probably wasn't a very good ruler and didn't really want to do it. Um, if anything, he really liked playing with locks, so he probably wouldn't have been a good locksmith. But anyhow... Uh, he got married to Marie Antoinette, very famous for Let Them Eat Cake, even though she didn't really say that, but that's a homework assignment for another day. Um, and she was born Archduke, Archduchess sorry, of Austria to Maria Theresa, and that name should sound pretty familiar from Enlightenment. So, you know, she got married at the age of 14, so we had a 15 or 14-year-old getting married. So think back to when you were 14 getting married. Um, so anyhow, Louis was her, King Louis XVI, who she got married to, was her second cousin once removed. So remember how I said about IQs going down? It's not necessarily good when cousins are married. Um, but anyhow, she was fairly spoiled. She loved the life of luxury, and because of that, she got the nickname Madame Deficit, as in Madame who spends more money than she has. And there are some crazy pictures of her. She 
would spend hours every day getting her hair all, you know, did up. Um, and I have one picture that's kind of cool. She's got a boat in her hair. It's pretty crazy. Um, and they spent all kinds of money between the two of them. They used to have, like, every morning they would have these giant, like, elaborate, like, welcome to the world, good morning kind of celebrations, and they'd play all kinds of music and release doves and have these great feasts of food. Meanwhile, all the people are starving. And, yeah, people weren't too happy about all this. So, anyhow, we'll get back to their hatred of her in a little bit. But as I said earlier, King Louis was not happy about his tennis court oath and them meeting. So, King Louis... He says, you know what, I don't like this National Assembly stuff and whatnot, so I'm going to use force to stop them. And no, I'm not talking about Star Wars. Um, so he was going to use the Bastille, which is an armory and a prison. And an armory, if you think of it, you know, the right to bear arms, armory, arm, It's a. they had guns there. And most of the citizens have guns. It's not like America where there's roughly two guns for every citizen of America coming out to roughly 600 million guns in America. Wow. Anyhow, um, not everyone had a gun, so this would have been a cool place to go if you needed a gun. Trouble is, people there have guns. Anyhow, so um, luckily, before the Bastille, all this stuff could go down, the peasants or commoners, they got wind of this and decided to do a preemptive strike, or they were going to go after the Bastille before the Bastille was used against them. So 8,000 men and women stormed the Bastille. There was only 114 soldiers left to defend it. And the peasants and the commoners, after a while, were able to lower a couple of drawbridges. The French guard actually joined in on the side of the peasants. Uh, this is not the people in the tower, uh, in the Bastille, but this is actually another group here. And after about four hours of sieging, uh, 98 attackers were dead and one defender was dead. But, I mean, they couldn't go on like this. So the commanding officer of the Bastille just surrendered. And, you know... Because he was surrendering, the people were like, oh, well, let's take pity. No, no, they, they didn't. They, like, murdered him. Literally, they ripped him apart. Like, physically ripped him apart. So, pretty vicious, but, oh, we're just getting started when we're talking about the viciousness of the French Revolution. So, anyhow, King Louis, after he heard about the Bastille and all the stuff that went down, he said, why, this is a revolt. And a duke replied, no, sire, it is a revolution. So, yeah, the king was really out of touch with this stuff. He didn't understand it. So, anyhow, after this, um, just revolution broke out everywhere. The land-holding system, all the fees people pay, obligations, the estate system, poor government, poor conditions, all these things just led to just mass revolution going on. And... Believe it or not, a lot of the revolutionaries, remember, this was like a civil war going on, but they were afraid that foreign troops would come in and put the king in power. So King Louis, who was kind of in power, they were going to help restore his power by coming in. Why on earth would someone else, another king, come over and help out France? I mean, it would kind of make sense that they would just come in and kick, help kick him out and take over, maybe. Well, think of it like a classroom. If I'm teaching a classroom and then, you know, something goes crazy in my room, well, that very easily could spread to my neighbors. They're like, wow, look what happened in Mr. McEwen's room. Bet that could happen here. And then all of a sudden it starts spreading to other rooms. So the other countries were worried that the revolution might spread to theirs. So 
anyhow, these National Assembly, the commoners, they started to gain some power, and they started to get rid of more and more of that feudalism stuff, which hopefully you covered that in eighth grade. You know, think of it as like a class system, socioeconomics and whatnot. Get rid of all the landlord holdings and whatnot. And sometimes feudalism, just kind of going in depth more a little bit here, is that people have to pay to use things like different properties. Like if a well was on a property, you might have to pay to use that. There's a whole bunch of financial privileges, obviously, of the nobles and the clergy, like not having to pay taxes. So they're getting rid of all of this now. So finally, the National Assembly, they create the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. And this is basically inspired by the American Declaration of Independence. So they use tons of ideas of enlightenment in there, like equal rights of all men. Sorry, ladies. We'll get into that later. No more exemptions from taxes. Ah, nobles and clergy, no more. Public office is going to be based on skill and talent, not just because your dad had that same job. Well, if you can imagine, King Louis really didn't agree with this declaration. Why, you ask? I'm glad you did. It took away his power and upset the nobles. So, you know, 2% of the population is upset, then obviously that's not cool. So, anyhow, he did not accept the National Assembly. He said, you know what, I don't take you seriously. You're not a big entity here or anything like that. Well, when you've got a king who's not listening to you, you've got to get someone out there who can make him listen. So who do you send? A thousand women. Actually, probably even more than a thousand women. And what do you give them weapon-wise? Well, yeah, a couple pistols and muskets, but swords, pitchforks, lances, broomsticks, and oh yeah, it was scary. And actually, there were some guys dressed up as women in there too, but we say... a you know, giant army of women. So they go and they get the uh, king and queen, capture them out of their palace, and some of the guards actually, they like kill them, behead them, and stick their heads on like like giant sticks and posts and pikes and whatnot. So yeah, pretty vicious. As I said, there's more blood to come when it comes to the French Revolution. So anyhow, uh, after this Declaration of Rights of Man and Citizen, capturing the king and whatnot, um, they started to make some changes. So all the land that the church had, boom, that's going to be sold off. Bishops and priests were going to be elected, not appointed anymore. And the church, pretty angry about all this because their power is being taken away and challenged. So we have a constitution here, and this is just one of them. Uh, there'll be more. Constitution of 1791 set up a limited monarchy. So hopefully you remember monarchy, kings and queens, and limited meaning, you know, they have, you know, think of it as like Queen of England today. We have one, but she really doesn't do too much. So they still had a king, but they really didn't do too much of anything. Uh, the Legislative Assembly uh, started to make most of the laws. So Legislative Assembly, think of it, legislative branch of the government like America. So now that the National Assembly is in full swing, we have 740 representatives that are elected. But now there's an issue here. Only men, sorry ladies, over 25, sorry young people, who paid a certain amount of taxes, sorry poor people, could vote. So the poor still didn't really have a voice. So we're not done yet. This isn't right. We're getting better, but still not quite there. Um, and also at this time the cost of living had gone up. Remember I told you about there were some food issues and, you know, the king and queen are partying all the time. Well, it's going up even more. Bread is going up huge price-wise. And so, you know, the lower class is the one that just feels it the most. All right, so let's talk about some neighbors here. Austria, Prussia, 
yeah, they were really worried that this revolution was going to keep spreading, so they threatened to use force to restore the king. And we talked about why they would want to do this already. So, anyhow, um, Austria and Prussia um, making this threat. Remember, threat. Well, the National Assembly is like, well, if you're going to threaten us, we're going to declare war. So they declare war on Austria. And if you remember, uh, Marie Antoinette was from there. So um, This was a really bad idea. They weren't ready to fight a war. There was too much internal war going on. They're you know, in the process of kind of getting rid of their king. Spoiler alert. Um, so you know, there's too many problems going on. So, well, now we have a radical political group that kind of declares themselves a commune, which definition meaning a small gathering of people sharing a common life. Well, they captured the king who had tried to flee Austria. So uh, he and his wife and kids uh, got uh, dressed up as like their peasant servants and got in a giant carriage that was fairly low because it was a big one to hold the whole family. They could have gone in two smaller ones and gone faster, but they chose the big one because they didn't want to break up the family, which I guess is good, but ultimately was their downfall because people caught them, and yeah, people weren't happy that they were trying to escape. So anyhow, uh, they captured the king as he tried to flee, and so many of the people in this commune referred to themselves as sans-culettes, and I'm sure my pronunciation is bad, um, but they are ordinary patriots without fine clothing. And this commune was led by Georges Danton. And he forced the Legislative Assembly uh, to call a national convention, a big gathering here. And the sans-culettes, you know, this kind of radical group here in the commune, they wanted revenge on the king and anyone who stood by the king. So they arrested and massacred thousands, but we're not done yet. There's more and more people going to die, sadly. So, um... Most people there really did not like the king. So on September 21st, they, they just flat out abolished the monarchy. No more king. And they re established a republic instead. And this was government run by the people. But of course, people don't agree. And we have two major factions, the Girondins and the Jacobins. My pronunciation, I'm sure, is terrible. But the Girondins... Um, these are mostly filled with people from Providence outside the city, so they're mostly peasants and commoners, and they weren't really upset with the king. They're not in the cities, they're not feeling all the wrath of the king and whatnot all the time, so they were, for the most part, happy to keep the king, and they were really kind of afraid of the radicals, or the Jacobins, the radicals, and they wanted the king dead, so, hmm, spoiler alert, the Jacobins win. Um, so they won the debates, and on January, 20, January 21st, 1793, the king was killed by the guillotine. And the guillotine is this crazy contraption that actually was seen as humane at the time. Um, it's a giant knife or blade that is suspended in the air, and you are strapped in to this contraption-like table, and this giant blade comes down and cuts your head right off, and your head falls into a basket, generally. And, yeah, it was seen as humane, because it was supposed to be painless and quick. But, uh, as in more and more of these um, beheadings happened, there was some question whether the people might have been conscious for a little while. Uh, there were reports of people blinking for, you know, 10 seconds or so, or like the equivalent of like five blinks after they died. This one lady... Um, they held her head up and showed it to the audience, and they slapped it because they didn't like her. And 
like she, her face like turned a little red. She blushed, and people were like, "Why did she do that if she's dead?" So there was some question. Now, granted, they never got a chance to talk to anybody who had been guillotined to find out if it was painful or not. Think about it. Anyhow, so the king was guillotined, and craziness ensued after that. People were like, remember, this is a guy who rules by divine right. God gave him the right to rule, so people thought his blood was holy. So these people are going up there, taking handkerchiefs and dipping it in his blood, and like, you know, taking it home as a blood souvenir. And, oh, by the way, it was not exactly a clean death, because when they strapped him in, he was kind of struggling a little bit, and they, they think that maybe his shoulder might have been in the way a little bit, or he was pretty fat, so his neck kind of got stuck. Anyhow, when the blade came down, it got stuck. It didn't go all the way through the first time, so they kind of had to force it through. So, yeah, not the best of death for a king. So, um, Marie Antoinette's still alive, but we'll get back to that soon. So, I'm going to take a little break here and record another one here in a little bit. So, um, hope this helps out, and uh, tune in for the part two of the French Revolution. All right. Thank you for listening.